Welcome to the Preservation Technology Podcast, the show that brings you the people and projects that are advancing the future of America's heritage. I'm Kevin Ammons, and today we join NCPTT's Jeff Ewan as he speaks with Guy Sternberg, a certified arborist and a retired landscape architect. Guy spearheaded an internet-based campaign to save a historic tree in Kiwani, Illinois. Guy, welcome to the podcast. I wonder if you just start by telling us how you first found out about this tree. I am on the uh, state's big tree committee with a few other people, and one of the other people who are who is uh, from Kumani uh, sent me an email, and he said, "Well, it looks like they're going to cut the old history down Kumani because it's leaning over the highway, and think it's leaning a bit more." And this had been a, a tree that I had taken tour groups to. We do you know big tree tours around the state and so forth. And it was one of the first ones planted, one of the last original surviving hedge trees in Illinois. And hedge being Osage Orange. And these were planted due to the impetus of, of Professor Jonathan Turner, who was a professor at Illinois College, which was the first and is the oldest college in Illinois. Well, this was obviously an important part of the city's history. What did you do to mobilize efforts to save the tree? This was a Friday night when I got the message. Naturally, the city offices are closed for the weekend, and they had uh, already made plans to cut this tree down the following Tuesday. So, dropping a billion other things that were already on my lap, I, I went through my address book for about three hours and handpicked 250 people who I thought might take an interest in this, and sent them out a short email expressing, you know, what I had heard, and if you feel you know, up to it, would you contact the scene and ask them for you know, a little bit more time so we could evaluate this thing and see if there are other opportunities available. And of the 250, I think at least 50 of them did contact the city from as far away as Europe and, and all over the states and so forth. Well, how did the city react to all the attention? I got a call from the mayor, and I talked with him, and I talked with the city manager and explained to them. We, we had done a lot of things like this in the past. I, I, I worked with other people who were involved with trying to, to save and monument historic trees. And they said, okay, we've got it set up for Tuesday. What should we do? And I suggested, well, you know, I'd seen the tree. I had photographs of it that I'd taken before. I knew it was leaning over the state highway. I said, if you can remove those two lower limbs that are cantilevered way out over the highway, uh, for now, that will take some of the pressure off it. And we'll set up a meeting up there as soon as possible with some other people who can evaluate this and, and determine you know, what methods can be used to, to preserve it. Uh, because you know the city knew it was historic. It, it predated the, the city there. It was planted there when the, when the whole city was just one farm. And you know they were aware of that. The Common Historical Society was aware of it, but they were just concerned for public safety, obviously, as they, as they should be. Okay, so you were at least temporarily able to keep the tree from being cut. Tell us a little bit more about this particular species of tree and how that contributed to what happened next. Being an Osage orange tree, uh, we also knew that there were a lot of options open to us that wouldn't be open with almost any other species of tree. Uh, first of all, it's just totally decay immune. You, you can have... Osage orange heartwood that had been made into fence posts back in the Depression that are still solid as a rock with no treatment of any kind. Um, it's very tough wood. It, um, it has latent buds with it that will allow it to re-sprout from anywhere on the tree. If you cut it, it will, it will re-sprout and grow again. And that's one of the reasons it was selected for hedging back in the 1840s. Uh, it's typically a thorny tree. And Professor Turner realized after looking at this that if you plant a bunch of these seedlings in a fence row, 
let them grow a couple of years and cut them back, they will resprout and they'll resprout more vigorously and, and thornier than ever. And then you can trim those thorny resprouts into a hedge that will stop livestock. And this is a, a, a time in, in the Midwest economy where we're changing from open range to, to farming. And they had to have something that would fence in and fence out livestock. And as you get further west in Kansas, Nebraska, and so forth, they didn't have many trees that you could use to make fence out of. Uh, you know, you cut a cottonwood down and build a fence, and by the time you get to the north end of the fence, the soften has already decayed away. It just it just won't last outdoors. But these living fences would last. So we knew that. I'd seen those sage-orange trees that had been uh, cut back every year since the early 1930s. There's one that's growing under where they were putting in a new rural electric line in 1930-whatever, in the Dust Bowl days. And the farmer didn't want to cut his tree down, so we just had the electric company cut the top half of it. And then every year when it resprout, he would trim the sprouts back into a nice little round gumball. And this tree has just been going just fine ever since then, and it still is. So at this point, you've got global support, really, for the preservation of this tree. Uh, and you've got the city's cooperation. So what were the next steps as far as actually preserving the tree? Well, they, they went ahead and then did the pruning. They had to have a permit and a crane and everything on site anyway because they were planning on taking the tree down. And it blocked off the state highway during the process. So instead of taking the whole tree down, they did as I asked and, and took about two tons of wood off of the down lean side, if you will, to, to give the tree better balance. Now, the whole tree is still balanced over the street, but not nearly as badly as it was. And then we got together a couple of weeks later with uh, a couple of arborists and some city council members and the local newspaper guy and, and uh, a couple of the people who had an interest in this one or another and a, a few other people who had said, I can't come to the meeting, but here's what I think and let me know what you've come up with and give us some photos and measurements and so forth. And these were expert arborists from all over the country. There's an engineering firm involved and, and uh, several people who just wanted to help raise money or, or you know, make awareness of, of the tree their their local cause. Uh, we have a radio station in Chicago that was doing interviews with me and with the mayor about the tree, the homegrown tomatoes uh, show. It's Justin TV in Alabama has put it on their show, and they've actually set up a Facebook page for the tree. And the you know the, the way to donate money that the city has worked with the Chamber of Commerce and the local bank to set up a dedicated bank account for the tree, and no money can be taken out of that account unless it's countersigned by both the city and, and either the bank or the chamber, and restricted strictly to the Kiwani Hedge tree. So people are able to send the contributions there, and those will be used uh, to stabilize the tree, to provide interpretive signing for the tree. Uh, they have to raise and, and relocate a sidewalk that's over the root system. Uh, we need to provide a, a vertical beam and some, some dynamic cabling to ensure that the tree will be stable even in a severe wind or, or ice storm because of its lean. Uh, so these are the types of things that money we spent for. Well, excellent. Well, what do you see as your role personally in this process? It's always involved giving the tree a personality, making people aware of why it's important, and giving them a way to contribute either monetarily or with volunteer work. And it can work surprisingly well, and it is working in this case. That We, we plan to go back... Uh, once the city gets permission from the adjacent landowner to place this beam on their property via an easement, the beam will be placed in, in like a big vertical post, and then from the top of that post across the sidewalk to the tree main leads of the tree, there will be dynamic cabling put in and installed with, with uh, big eye bolts. And professional arborists will be doing that in July. They'll take a breakout from their 
in Annapolis without our board culture meeting in July, which is in Chicago, and make the Jura Drive west of Kiwani, and there's a team of volunteer arborists who will be doing that installation then. So everybody's sort of working together on it. Now, when you sent that first email, did you have any idea what the reaction would be? I kind of did, because like I said, we've been doing this for years with other trees, mostly in our home county. We, we have more than 20 trees that we've monumented, and some of them we worked on and cabled and put lightning prediction in and so forth. And every time you get people, and of course the people in my address book are, are not just ordinary folks. They're people that I associate with because we have kindred interests. And a lot of these people are doing the same thing I'm doing elsewhere in the world or elsewhere in the country. So I knew that some of them at least would write the city and say, hey, let's give the tree a reprieve, let's look at this, let's see if we can help you find a, a solution that will keep your people safe but also keep the tree going. And, yeah, I expected it, and that's what we got. And, and I was nonetheless very gratified to see that so many people came out of the woodwork so fast because we only had two days before the tree was gone. Uh, and also I need to commend the city because the, the mayor, the city councilman, the city manager all were really sad that that tree supposedly had to go, but they didn't know another solution because they just hadn't dealt with something like this before. And now that they're, they are doing it and they have some help, they're going out and recruiting help. They've recruited someone to donate all the beans that are better necessary. They're, they're taking every step they can to, to work with all of us in, in saving what is their natural and historical heritage as well. Now, you mentioned something earlier about the tree actually having its own Facebook fan page. Um, is this the first time that you're aware of that social media has played a part in a campaign like this? Yes, it is. I've, I've used the Internet in the past and my memberships in various green organizations to just get emails to people. Uh, but I am not very literate in terms of social media, and some of these other people are. And I think the younger you are and the more involved with media, the better you are at it. So the same person who is doing the uh, Justin TV stream uh, program on the tree said, I'll set up a Facebook page if you get to see to operate it. So he set it all up, put away for people to donate, and you know, click through PayPal, gave it to the city, and the city is running it now. And it's the same fund that all goes as a dedicated fund for, for the tree. And if we don't spend all of it doing this initial go-around, we'll be going back every few years to do some trimming and inspecting and, and you know, tweaking on the tree to make sure that it's around basically forever. What can other historic landscape professionals learn from your experience? Well, from this one, you might say it's an anomaly, but I, I have done this type of thing before, and if you're willing to drop your other work and jump on an emergency like this, uh, it would be better if you could do it before it was an emergency, but then you don't have the motivation. You know, pe people aren't willing to, to do something until the cat's almost out of the door. And, of course, if I waited two days later, the tree would be laying on the ground. So timing is, is critical. First of all, it has to be urgent, but it has to be doable. Um, the other thing is that I think you need to get the right people involved and the right mix of people uh, who, number one, are altruistic and have these interests, and number two, have something that they can contribute in terms of knowledge or equipment or, or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that in any case, and each, each situation is unique, but if someone has an historic landscape or an historic tree in their community, uh, if possible, get out there and advance an inventory its condition and its situation, its legal status, and so on, so that you know something about the tree. Take the measurements, do, do the legwork, uh, take a GPS reading, so if you want to send the tree's location to someone else remote so they can get on Google or if there's something and get a view of the tree, they can do that. 
you know, take those steps in advance and sort of adopt that tree. Work with the landowner, make sure that they're aware of how important this tree is and the things that you should or shouldn't do with an old tree to keep it going. Uh, try to work with local groups who might be interested in interpretive signing or in doing tours that involve the tree, uh, doing specials on, on in the newspaper, maybe seasonal specials. And while people are doing that, they're going to start looking at the, the birds that are in the tree and, and the, the shrubs that are in the woods around the tree. They're going to get out instead of sitting in front of their, their TV watching baseball, and hopefully they're going to become more involved with, with everything that makes our world tick. And that was Jeff Ewan talking to arborist Guy Sternberg. If you would like to learn more about this project, visit our podcast show notes at the National Center for Preservation Technology and Training website. That's ncptt.nps.gov. Until next time, goodbye, everybody.